0: everybody welcome to the rooftop podcast uh this is a uh this is part of our special afghanistan series that we're doing right now uh really for for several months probably as we look back at the the year that has been the the collapse of afghanistan the wholesale abandonment of afghan allies and all of the work that's gone on to date to try to overcome um all that's happened from that. And, um, you know, the book operation pineapple express is, is certainly a third person account written in the third person of the Afghan, of many of the Afghan partners who, who risked everything for freedom and, uh, the volunteers who stood at their shoulder. But, you know, one of the things I talk about a lot in that book is that it's just one set of stories. Like there are so many stories and so many amazing efforts by Americans who filled the gap, the best of America, when the worst uh, possible thing could have happened, and, and frankly, a failure in institutional leadership. These amazing Americans uh, stood up and, and filled the gap, and I've had the honor of being at the shoulder with uh, several of them over the past year, and the, the gentlemen that are with me today from a federation known as Moral Compass, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, but I'm just going to introduce him now. Um, I'm introducing, uh, Duke by his, that's his call sign. He's with uh, North star, uh, Travis Peterson, who is the founder and chairperson for Moral Compass and, um, Tom Kaza. Did I get it right, Tom? Close? It right.
1: Uh, close. Uh,
0: who is with team 11 and Tom's a former SF guy himself. And, uh, we're going to get into it today. We're going to, we're going to get into, if, if you're listening to this, you already know, uh, you you know about the what happened in Afghanistan, you know about the collapse, but what you probably don't know is how much work has gone on behind the scenes at a humanitarian level to keep people alive and to give them hope and to give them a, a pathway uh, to freedom. So we're going to get into that today. And And really my focus today is to talk about what still needs to be done. But, but before we do that, we're going to go back a little bit, and I want to give you a little bit of backstory on each of these amazing Americans that are with us today. So Duke, why don't we start with you? Tell us a little bit about yourself and um, you know how you got into this particular role. Uh, but I'd also like to just know a little bit about the miles you've run prior to that.
2: Sure. So I spent 13 years as an army recon platoon sergeant and uh, was trained at the international special center uh, training center in Germany for uh, long range recon stuff. Um, after I got out of the military, uh, which was actually even before GWAC kicked off, I may not look it, but I'm in my 50s. So I'm I'm old. <laughs> <How are you? laughs> and uh, uh, I spent a number of years uh, running businesses and, and doing political consulting. And out of the blue, one day, one of my one of my uh, army buddies uh, contacted me and said, hey, can you help us get a turp out? He goes, I I know that you did some stuff in the military and you've got some high end political connections. Can you help? I said, well, I don't know. Let me let me make a couple of calls. So I called some of the most powerful people I know. And straight away, they're like, well, it's funny you called. And I'm like, oh, boy, you know, when you got those phone calls (laughs) because we were you know, we're having a hard time getting our hands wrapped around this mission that we've got. and We've got, you know, hundreds and hundreds of volunteers you know, a bunch of operators, a bunch of agency people, both foreign and current. And we're, we're struggling and all this tech, we're struggling to get our arms wrapped around it. Why don't you come in and see if you can help us bring it all together? And I said, well, let me attend a couple of meetings and, and see what's going on. So jumped in these meetings, looked around and you know what, when you see your people, you know, your people, right? And you're like, these are some good people and they're really trying to do some good work. So I was like, well, all right, I'll jump in. I'll do it. So I I took two weeks off from, from my work and uh, went in there and just jumped in and got into it. And this was at the height of, you know, the evacuation, you know, trying to figure out where we're going to send people and what we're going to do. And uh, you know, two weeks has now turned into a year. So I haven't been able to really pull back to the 50,000 foot level because I haven't left the trenches since, uh, since August. Yeah. And what
0: Duke won't tell you all, then I'll tell you because. This guy's like uh, and, and and it's so many like him uh, walked away from his work and 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 basically you know left all that behind so that he could uh, he could weigh in and make an impact and and you know that's the we're gonna get into that we're gonna get into the human cost of this both at an Afghan level but also with our volunteers because I think it's it's really important that our listeners understand what uh, what was what was really invested
2: in this work um but before yeah. we hit that yeah I go ahead We never take it back you know I, we've we've yeah. i mean everybody across the entire evacuation community has made like crazy amounts of sacrifices and this is by far the most rewarding work i've ever done in my life i mean we're we're literally saving lives generationally speaking and uh you know doing the right thing often comes with high cost and this is one of those situations
0: I always said that um people ask me why I got involved. I said, because my kids were watching me, to be quite honest with you. And my, I've got an older son who's a he's an army officer, and you know, my other two boys, and I felt like I'm not even kidding. Like my boys were watching. And, you know, they're they're making assessments on how we lead through this. So I I, I hear you a hundred percent, man. Um okay tom over to you why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh
1: your work prior to getting getting into this and and uh and how you got involved yeah so i spent the previous 13 years like doing 13 years um within the army uh last night of that or last night and a half was within the first special forces group as a 18 charlie um which is a special forces engineer sergeant so i was the guy you know blowing stuff up or building stuff and in the meantime, doing all the uh, inventory and supply functions, which is the uh, the untold, not so glamorous side of special forces. Um, but how I got involved in this whole um, enterprise, I guess you could call it, is I was the NMRG team leader or team manager um, for Team Eleven. Um, so what the NRG was uh, was you know the acronym stands for the National My Reduction Group. Right. Um, they were a group of Afghan um, citizens who were basically. <coughs> you know, trained by the U.S. to, you know, basically essentially find IDs for us, you know, sweep ahead with their, their mind detectors in front of uh, special forces raids and identify these hazards because, you know, in Afghanistan, there's, you know, kind of that sixth sense that the locals have. And these are, you know, these are the local guys. They knew the Taliban, they knew their tactics and techniques. So they were able to kind of um, provide that kind of um, knowledge and assist us on our missions. Um, so I, I managed, yeah, I managed a team of those guys for you know seven month deployment last you know, 2019 2020, um, and then you know in the following year, you know I maintained some you know decent amount of contact with these guys. I was writing their letters, recommendations for the uh, special immigrant visa program, which I'm sure we'll talk about much more <laughs> in the next hour. Um, and then you know so I was in contact with these guys, and then you know when the uh, the collapse started happening, you know it's you know we're in the 21st century now we're on whatsapp we're on signal we're all connected digitally so i'm talking to some of these guys you know either interpreters or energy in real time as these guys are you know fleeing the country um so it's like at that point you're kind of like or what how do i help you know and because you i know about you guys but like for the, those initial kind of first days are just kind of sitting there kind of just like stupefied like i can't do anything but then you know, some of these the text messages start flowing. These chat groups started, um, you know, materializing out of nothing, and this whole grassroots movement got started. And, you know, I just kind of, you know, threw my hat in the ring and you know, got involved. I guess same story as everyone else, more or less. Um, and it was this it was kind of a weird experience for me too. Like, I actually separated from the active duty army October, or, sorry, August twenty third. So, like, the most important work ever done for the army. Actually, the bulk of it came after I left the army. Of all things, ironically.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's astounding, man. And, and the work that you continue to do, uh, for this very, very special group known as NMRG. And we'll talk more about them in a second. Cause I want to, I want to help people understand, you know, all of the partners that we support are, are very special people, but the NMRG and in, in their own right, um, certain very special dudes. Um, Travis, Absolutely. I want to come to you for a second. And I, it, it, you know, there's, there's a unique Angle that you bring to this whole thing, and you know, in addition to, to being the founder of, of Moral Compass, but um, you also were a combat advisor. You spent a lot of time doing, and you're gonna—I know you're going to talk about that. But but what's um, really unique about your role, and a lot of people, I think, they got to see your documentary. Uh, but you were on the ground. You were on the ground when all of this went down. So I wonder if maybe. Because if you could tell us a little bit about your backstory and and, and why Afghanistan matters to you, and then pivot into uh, what went down, like you know what happened, how did you find yourself on the ground? And I think that will set us up then to pivot into uh, some of the independent actions and things that started to happen on this side of the pond, so that we can help listeners really get their head around this. Because I, I think really understanding this with fidelity at, a year later is key. So. Do you mind setting that up for us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started off my career doing combat search and rescue.
3: Um, multiple deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan, you know. Um, really saw the, the need to open the next door on the SF side. Um, applied, uh, did select, assessment and selection with the 6SOS. Um, became a combat aviation advisor, trained for a couple of years. And my tasking was Afghanistan for the Special Mission Wing to take it from an air interdiction unit to a formidable uh, counter-terror operation versus just counter-drug. So you know we started off you know minimal. We didn't have a whole lot of crews. We hand-selected everybody, vetted them like there's no tomorrow, um, and then just kind of started working with them. Most of our pilots, um, advisor-wise we uh, were contracted, you know, like most of them prior 160th guys, retired, got out, private contracted. So we worked hand in hand between, you know, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and private contractors. And we built this superb flying unit, you know, that could go out and do everything,
0: day or night. And I want to stop you there because I think this is really important for people to understand it. With advisors like you and, and Tom, when you say we built, like, you're not kidding, man. You're not shitting. Like, you built, and and, and then you went out and fought with them alongside right. them at their shoulder.
3: Right. You know, it, it comes down to, you know, SF, it's, you know, foreign internal defense. Um, right. You yeah. don't have that support network in most places. So it's, it's buy, through, and with. Um, and, you know, train, advise, assist. Train, advise, assist. You know, a lot of, a lot of folks in this world don't get to do the assist mission, yeah. you know, and that's, when I say assist, that's, you know, you've got your Afghan counterparts or your country X counterparts right next to you fighting in the trenches, you no. know, you're, you're trusting them and they're trusting you. And a lot of people don't see that, you know, there was the conventional army side that would do the rotations, you know, with, the, with the regular army in afghanistan and that's not the cream of the crop guys that you know tom worked with that i worked with those were the best you know and and we have uh records that prove it but um you know to get back onto the subject uh we stood that up and there was a very close agreement between the six sos and the special mission wing that continued all the way until uh may of last year Um, I ended up retiring in 2018 and then I went back to Afghanistan as a private contractor doing the same thing. Uh, same guys doing the, uh, the, the not so, you know, fancy stuff. You know, I wasn't going out on missions. We were training guys and that's, that was our role. But, um, you, you, you know, over a decade, you build these relationships, um, whether it's a language barrier or not. But you're talking to these guys, you know, right. every month or so, every couple months, you stay in touch. Uh, when they would have schools in the U.S., they would make sure that they came down here to Florida yeah. um, just to visit, even if it was only for a day or two. Um, but now we fast forward and go to May of last year when we got notified, you know, hey, pack your bags, go home. Well, for months prior to that, we didn't believe it was actually going to happen. You know, we we knew that the military was going to pull out. That was no doubt, but to pull everything, you know, all contracts, um, um, everything that we built there, we
0: pulled. And I want to build on that just for a second, Travis Duke. This is something that I that I actually talk about in in the accountability part of Pineapple Express. Is that I actually interviewed uh, Minister Mohib, uh, Minister of Defense, and and he said to me. That when when the United States pulled the contractor support, as Travis was talking about, May
2: and June, he knew right then that it was wholesale abandonment. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, the the military, if they do anything uh, to the nines, it's planning. Right. I mean, God knows how many three ring binders there are about troop withdrawals. Right. There's right. Whole, there's whole departments at the Pentagon that probably work on this and for them to just throw it all to the wind and just pull up stakes and leave. I mean, they had to know that that was going to create a major vacuum of power, you know, and and the Afghan government folded faster than a lawn chair and there was nothing left there to support anything. There was no follow on missions to support anything. I mean, we basically gave up Bagram, which we should have never gave up. And now we're left with two two kind of national security issues, right? So I think when, when we pulled out, it showed weakness in the world and maybe that's why what happened in Ukraine happened. And we lost all visibility and intelligence coming outside or coming from inside of Afghanistan right now. Right. And then if we ever go and partner with somebody, like let's just say the Ukrainians, are they going to trust us that we're not just going to pull up stakes in Ukraine and just leave them to you know have the Russians do with them whatever? I mean, this is why you you plan. This is why they have departments that do these three ring binders and game theory and all this stuff on on troop withdrawal. I mean, we never left Germany or, or you know what? Why would we leave Afghanistan like that?
0: Right. I don't know. No, it's fair. And and Tom, over to you. You were there, and then travel will swing back to you on the um, on the collapse piece, but. I mean, you're there on the ground, you're an SF guy, you're advising, you're working closely with the NMRG, 19 and 20. So, you know, it's on, you know, what what are you seeing at this point, man? Like what's going through your mind, Uh, particularly as a Green Beret,
1: who thinks about the long game? I mean, at that point, the writing was already on the wall. Um, The contractors were still in place. The overall infrastructure was still in place, but we – you know, I left February of 2020, but we had already been shut down more or less by I want to say the end of the end of 19. We were pretty much done operationally speaking. I know the, the team that ripped out with us, um, the, the guys who replaced us. I don't think they did a single offensive mission. I don't think they they might have left the wire once or twice as I like go train shoot rockets right outside of, of Kandahar Airfield, but um, at that point in time, I am I don't like it was it was done. You know, they were we were is was, was all she wrote at that point. Um, so yeah, when we left, it's just kind of a sense of just, this, <laughs> I don't know, surrealism. I guess like what what did we just spent the last six months doing, like we had a teammate Kia, like what was this all for, you know? Um, it's just it's just a sense of kind of just just it transcends transcendent frustration, but it's just yeah, a sense of just disgust, I guess, you know, it's like, what, what was it all for in the end? You know? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Fair. So Travis back
0: over to you, man. Um, yeah. Take, through, uh, take us through that part where it starts to really come off the rails. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, Tom
3: hit it on the head with, you know, that it was pure disgust. It was pure confusion. It was pure. What the hell did we waste all of our time for last 20 years? Um and I remember sitting, you know, we had our hotel, you know, downtown. Um, and you know, a lot of the guys on the team they were like, Yep, Travis, it's done. Let's pack our shit and go home. And I just did not believe it. Like I could not believe that we were doing this. And I waited till the last day before I packed up my gear. <laughs> you know, I was confident that this was not gonna happen. Yeah. And uh the day prior, you know, I went on post and you know, saw some of the Afghans, and you know, you couldn't look at them and be like, "Hey, good luck." Uh, I don't know what you're going to do, so you kind of had to lie to them and be like, "Hey, I'll see you in a couple months." A lot of lying, around. and <laughs> you know, yeah, you know. So I remember feeling absolutely horrible, like getting on that air on the airplane in Kabul, and thinking to myself that we're doing this, like, no shit, this is happening and i get back to the states and you know we're all talking we're calling each other going do we have a contract are we going back what you know what's going to happen a couple guys started flying for state and they went back and we got you know information from them saying hey it's done like we are getting ready to evacuate people now well prior to that we you know some of us had come up with an idea of being able to get the family members of the special mission wing on a post and get them into the barracks so that they'd be safe. So that when Kabul, you know, did go to war, that these guys could get out there and and do what they were trained to do and fight without having to worry about their families. So we game plan that, game plan that. And then all of a sudden you saw everything coming into Kabul. Um, And, you know, go back to what Duke said, the three ring binder. I created a three ring binder on how we were going to execute this, um, because that's what we do and bought a plane ticket. Um, met up in Istanbul with a friend of mine and we took his airplane, um, into Afghanistan, into Kabul. Um, we were in the military stack. We got approval through military to be in our stack. And next thing you know, we land and, you know, as we're coming in on approach, I'm looking at you know, the destruction and going, this isn't the same Kabul I know. You could just tell. And then you step off the airplane and it was a complete, you could feel it in the air that this was not normal. Well, you know, you know, if you go up that three ring binder and go, okay, let's execute this plan. That's what I did. Got with some guys that were doing rescues and they're phenomenal and they're active duty. And I can't say what they did, but these guys, army, air force, absolutely are the greatest heroes of this story and the marines um and someday their story will be told um but they are just they undoubtedly did everything in their power and we'll get into that later but get on the ground and meet up with these guys they give me a vehicle i go over to ramp six where the special mission wing used to be And I was planning on utilizing barracks there, you know, headquarters and all this stuff. Well, I get up in there and it takes me a while because of all the destruction and no roads are, you know, open. And there's just shit everywhere. And nothing was viable. Everything had been ransacked. Everything had been gone through. Um, There was people posted up in there, whether it was regular army, there was... It was it was just a disaster. You you couldn't utilize any of it. Yet. So basically I took that three-ring binder, threw it in the trash, and went, okay, let's start over. What can we do? Um, linked in with a bunch of other teams that were doing the same stuff as us, and kind of got a lay of the land. And that's when the network, as you say, Scott, the Pineapple Express, you know, that link back home, that what Tom was saying about utilizing signal and uh technology that actually worked better than what you know the government was using you know and it's open source it actually, and yeah. we were you know and we were actually getting you know stuff done real time intelligence where the taliban was where the checkpoints were um, that was, having assets just, on the ground i could
2: just jump in and add to that i think that that right there was probably one of the most amazing things i've ever seen how fast we we like privatize the government, right? Right, right. absolutely. <laughs> operator dudes and, and the information flow that we had in the tech and the efficiency at which we are operating. I mean, right. there's a whole business case study to be done there. I mean, it was really- good. now take it on the backside, right? So I'm in Kabul, you got shitty
3: internet. You know, uh, if you have internet, um, cell service was intermittent. Um, So- Whatever would be sent from the states, I would get. It would be delayed five minutes, especially if I was in a crowd. So if somebody was saying that, "Hey, this individual's at this location," by the time I got there, they're never gone. But, but to go on what Duke said, this whole effort brought in this technology and brought in, you know, um, imagery, real-time imagery, um, which was phenomenal. But it became too much because we couldn't get that information passed Mm -hmm. to the operators that were on the ground, right? You can't do anything with it if you can't download an image or you can't download a map or any of that. So I had to have my guys that were doing the stuff in the States, they basically had to text everything out to me um, Mm -hmm. and give me a description. And I would paint the picture in my head and go, okay, I know exactly where that's at. But as far as imagery went, it became very difficult.
0: Yeah. Um, So... But, you know, one thing I just want <clears throat> to I want to hit there, too, that Duke hit on and then Tom will come over to you. But, you know. Correct me if I'm wrong, Travis, but like one of the things that as I talk to guys that were on the ground, we you know that we work with and and after the fact, you can go back and kind of, you know, reconstruct. But one of the major dilemmas was, you know, the thousands and thousands of people and, and who who's who in the zoo. And, you know, one of the things that that we would always say is. We knew who they were, we knew where they were, and they trusted us. Like at the end of the day, that's really what it came down to was the social capital that had been built for years. And these people were just calling, they were just doing what they knew to do, which was to reach out to people they trusted. But yet, because of the time on the ground, because of the situational awareness, there was this ability to privatize and fill that that situational awareness gap and responsibly present highly vetted individuals to the, to the men and women that were... We're doing the really hard work of pulling them through. Is that is that accurate? Is that is that framed? Yeah,
3: absolutely. Or? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when it comes to you know the efforts that were done, and if you step back before the eighty second, before the Marines rolled in there, yeah, and you had state, you had State Department, you had, um, um the NATO allies, you know, right. running gates. There, there could have been a plan but nobody knew nobody nobody wanted to take responsibility nobody wanted to take charge until it was too late right and then you roll in the 82nd with a bunch of you know awesome dudes but they that's not that wasn't their role yeah you know to to surround the perimeter of kabul right uh, of, of the airfield yeah you know and a lot of these guys are young guys and gals are young they hadn't they're not advisors they don't work by through and with so to them a taliban doesn't look any different than just a normal citizen or a guy that worked with the united states for 20 years and you know i i give it to them they had the hardest job ever holding those gates yeah um the Marines that were there were just phenomenal you know I looked at NATO countries that were there doing the same thing and they used the more of a riot control mm-hmm. um where most of the guys most of the u.s you know they used they used their brains they used yeah. the sense and, and I heard again you know you yeah. had the ability to reach out to a marine just like you did Scott or, or Tom or or Duke and go, hey, we found this guy. He's at the gate. He's working the gate. Yeah. Let's get this information. I worked on a little bit different level than that, um, just because I was there and I was able to go grab people. Yeah. So um, you know, our network was identify, locate, go get them, bring them in, do another verification, and then get to them, you know, to uh to the uh to the airfield or to the, the terminal yeah. so they can get processed so but,
0: let me yeah, ask you this question. let me ask you this question i want to throw this one to tom um one of the guys that i interviewed who we worked with he was a he was an afghan he was afghan commando he was medic he was afghan special forces and he went to the q course and uh, i changed his name uh in the book. His name is bashir in the book but he was on the inside. He was on the inside of h And, and he told me uh, Tom through tears that if he had had one SFODA with him on the ground inside h he probably could have pulled in half the
1: commandos. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, we, we could have done a lot if we had been on the ground. I remember uh, uh, talking to, you know, my friends and girlfriend at the time, like, this is, this is like one of the good fights, you know, this is the ones, this is the time you want to be on the ground more than anything else. Cause like as an SF guy, you know, they oppressed Olivier, you know, the oppressed. And to piggyback off of what Travis said, yeah, the 80 second guys are rock solid. They're good. You know, we, we brought them on a mission to be our kind of security element to watch our backs, you know, or to provide like support as like a gun team or mortar team, good solid guys, but they don't have that nuance to really, or even not even beyond that. They don't have the experience to really delineate you know, threat versus this, oh, it's just normal Afghanistan, you know? And that, that you know, if we had you know, one OD on the ground, had, someone has that, that kind of context and you kind of uh, kind of apply force when necessary, but also kind of take a step back when needed. We could have done a lot more in, to actually, you know, targeting, specifically targeting who we want to pick up versus just, you know, the mass rush at the gate, you know? Because, um, I mean, I've never, everyone's seen the footage at this point, you know, it's just, there was no... There was no coordination, no nuance, no plan. It was all just mad chaos. But if you had, uh, you know, a couple, of, couple of hard hitting SF guys who had the capability to go beyond the gate and actually kind of organize things outside that just absolute ball of humanity, you know, things might have gone differently, you know, uh-huh. or at least we would we'd have we'd have been able to care of our own people a little bit better. I think. Oh. You know? How about you? Dude? What's oh sorry Travis. Yeah, real quick,
3: just on that, what Tom was saying. And we could have done that. You know, I saw it for... Oh, know you guys were shut down. Straight. I was reading the text, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, for three or four days straight, you know, I watched a very coordinated movement. Um, and that was, you know, agency assets being, you know, taken out and moved to the airfield. You know, when, when we tried coordinating that... Um, I was on the phone with quite a few air bosses at the time. And I identified um, landing zones to the north and to the south. And we had plans of getting individuals to those locations. Not enough time. If yeah. we would have just had time, if we would have started this back in March, February, and slowly, you know, done it instead of, uh, go go go! You've got three weeks to evacuate everybody. Yeah, um, you know the intention was never to evacuate everyone. I mean, that's what people need to understand. The intention was to to secure Kabul and let Tom's commandos do what they're supposed to do. Let my commandos do what they were supposed to do. Yeah. We never gave them the opportunity. Right. Their advisors basically just said, "I don't know." Yeah, uh, William, you,
0: you you guys are on your own now. We're, we're too late. We've out. Well, yeah, yeah. What
2: are your, what are your thoughts, Duke? As Tom, as uh, Travis lays that out. Yeah, I mean, those those early days, uh, and we haven't even got up to the bombing yet at at at, at China. Um, It was just a whirlwind of chaos, yeah. and and actually after the bombing, uh, things got much worse. I thought. <laughs> I, I agree. Yeah, I agree, man.
0: Yeah, and and you know, just a couple but of things I want to I want to point out, and and this is just in in being transparent is you know one of the 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 cats that we worked with was um uh captain john and, and first sergeant jesse they were from the 82nd and they just so happened that they were they were down by Abbey gate and had a bit more autonomy than um you would expect right uh, and and they did and they had they had just through serendipity they had they had figured out how to move uh Afghan nationals, because of the national strike unit with the agency, they had moved a good number of them across the airfield and figured out that part of the mechanism. And it just so happened that we connected with them, and there was a four-foot hole in Abbey Gate in the fence there um, that was, you know, accessible to them. And that's everything came down to four feet, like four feet, you know, and all of these people from all over the country converging on this four foot hole, but, but just, it was a company commander and a first sergeant that were actually, you know, pulling people through that hole and going out there and doing that. So, I mean, the the propensity was there to do it, but like you guys said, there was, that wasn't the plan. Like they actually sue a on that. They, they stepped up and did that because their own, whatever moral code or whatever drew them to do that. But that was not what they were there to do. And they get it all the way up until the bombing. And then it just shut down hard. And I think we all experienced, you know, some version of that. But the last thing I want to say to Tom's point, and this is where, I don't know, man. My my personal read on this is that there's, you know, there needs to be accountability. There needs to be across political, diplomatic, but also military lines, right? Because I don't think personally... That military senior leadership get a pass on this. I just don't. Yeah. I mean, I you know, when 9-11, post-9-11, you couldn't swing a dead cat down here in Tampa without hitting a Green Beret senior officer trying to get in the planning room to get his ass in Afghanistan or influence the fight in Afghanistan. But yet on the way out the door, we didn't have a single SFODA on the ground for at least 60 days. And and I have I have, I have a problem with that. Like I, as it to to be the premier force on by with through, at least on the ground, how can, how's that even possible?
2: Well, there was one officer who spoke out and looked, they cut him off at the knees.
0: Okay. But, but you know, that's right.
2: Colonel Scheller, right?
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and there was one guy in USASOC and I'm, he's still on active duty. So I'm going to preserve him. But other than that, You know, there was not there was not a concerted effort, at least to put put SF dudes on the ground, sustain the NMRG over the long term, or or have an ODA on the ground to do what Tom talked about. And I feel like if we are truly going to promote the indigenous approach in our future work, we've got to step back and own that shit and say that was a mistake, and we got we got to ensure that never happens again.
3: And you know, on that point. You know, it wasn't just the U S it was coalition too. Um, there were some really, really big Vikings that I used to work with a (laughs) decade ago, you know, and, uh, they showed up on the ground. They saw me at Abbey gate and two of them grabbed me. They're like, Travis, what are you doing here? I was like, yeah, I'm on my own. You know, um, you know, I said, I'm not in the military. They're like, well, yeah, we know that. Come over to our place and we'll talk. Um, get over there and they were told to stand down. You know, they came in with this strike force that could have gone out into town, yeah, and just gotten everybody that we needed. They couldn't go. They could not leave those those gates. Yeah. Um now again I want to harp on how awesome the US military was, the junior US military, the lower echelon, the lower ranks. hundred percent These these guys were told to not do anything except hold the gates, right? Right. Well you had you had some pretty badass bubbles on the ground and they defied that. They said nope, ain't oh, doing yeah. it. And they created their own little network. And they went against the grain. Um I'm not going to say they went against their commanders, but the commanders did not know what they were doing. Um and they kicked ass. They saved so many lives over that course of that period before Abbey Gate. And the night before Abbey Gate, I knew shit was going, it was going south. This mission is, you know, it's failing. Um, I knew we needed to get out of there. Um, so I went over and I sat at a memorial that we had. And as I'm leaving, I just kind of laid out on the on the on the tarmac there. You know, it's empty. And I was looking up, it was a full moon and all of a sudden a vehicle shows up and it's two guys from the army, um, pretty hua guys. And they rolled up, they're like, you okay? And I said, yeah, you know, so I'm just, you know, soaking this all in. I said, I've spent a, a lot of my life here. They sat, talked and they're like, Hey, do you know where this place is? We're trying to get a family out. I said, yeah. I said, I can get you there. I said, I'm going to have to, you know, you're going to have to bounce through a few walls to get there and I said it's in Taliban country just so you know and they're like yeah we know can you show us did it um you know gave them the go get them good luck thing and they took off well about an hour later I was back in the terminal um looking for somebody and these guys come rolling up and they've got this family they saved a the family that night of course like we did every night but just to see that and to see how excited they were, you know, they' you know—they could have easily been court-martialed. They could have easily, you know, faced a lot of punishment for what they did. But they knew what was right. They knew it was moral, and they know they knew that you don't leave anyone behind.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
3: if there's a life to be saved, they're going to save it. And they did what every soldier, airman, marine, sailor is taught to do. Stand up for what's right and fight for it. Yeah. Even if you're, you know, even if your leadership isn't taking care of you. Yeah. And they did. So I, again, I cannot express how proud I am of the actions I saw of junior military right. while
0: I was there. What do you say to that, Tom?
1: So I have to tread carefully. I'm still in the National Guard as far as my critiques go. Um, I will just say like, that has definitely carried on through um, the last year. Um, like my organization right now, like yeah, I got, I got like split down like I have like my civilian side which does all outreach, fundraising, stuff like that. I got my military side, and it's all it's all active duty SF guys, all National Guard SF guys who are doing the work right now. These are the guys. They're still, you know, they're they're in direct contact with, with these people, um, doing the buy with and through from six, seven thousand miles away. Yeah, I mean, it's all, it's all a great personal cost to them, you know, call marriages financially. I mean, i got, to, I can't even tell you how many thousands of dollars are spent trying to set up my own, our little, you know, ad hoc <laughs> five, one C three, you know, fly by seat of pants kind of nonprofit, you know? Um, and you gotta, you gotta look back though. Like, you know, you, you talked by within three what, what if we had like an, an ODA kind of command and controlling these SF guys and an ODA reaching back to the States. Yeah. I mean, with our you know with our, our company plus of you know hype hitting 80 second guys things we could have done a lot more with just just a little bit more vision you know rather than just putting our heads in the sand and saying all right 19 years 20 years it's time to pull out now and, and <clears> that's my thing down Tommy, down. Is, that i guess
0: part of my challenge with all of this is that it's it's as if Duke, it's as if we've just turned the page, and I and I know I'm getting a little in front of us here, but I think we can. It's as if we've just turned the page at a at a at a, at a senior leader level, and we've just pretended like this never happened. Like that's what to me is just morally bankrupt. Is like if you fuck up, fine. You fuck, how many times have we fucked? I mean, I fucked up plenty in Afghanistan, but I always tried to own it. And I always try to hold myself accountable and my unit accountable for the lessons, so that they didn't happen again. And I mean, we're kind of taught that in the military: you do an after-action review, you do a hot wash, you you do an internal investigation, a fifteen, whatever it is. But you but you you look at yourself and you learn. But it seems to me in this case, like not only has that not happened, like we've just turned the page, and it's like institutionally we've wiped the event from the map.
2: Am I am I wrong on that? No, I mean, that that's exactly what's happened. And Travis can attest to this as well, because media for Moral Compass. And we we talk to people and they're like, right, Travis, they have no idea. I mean, mm-hmm. none of this is getting out in the media about what's really happened. I mean, the, the moral injury and financial injury to veterans in this community trying to solve this Uncle Simon This Uncle Sam-sized problem with their personal checking accounts and 401ks has been incredibly horrible for the veteran community. You take a look at the national security issue, we left special forces trained soldiers there that either A, have been unalived, or B, have gone over to the Taliban because they don't have a choice. That's a serious problem, right? We left $90 billion of government arms, weapons, and tech behind that the terrorists can now use or sell on the black market. Yeah. I mean, how how any of those, these three things were not calculated into any kind of plan. And yeah. and so what you said is to just turn the page and be okay with any of that is not good. It's, no, not it's nothing though, man.
1: Uh, to me, like, it's the people. It's the people that we fucked over the most. Um, uh, so we're talking we're talking about veterans here. I want to, especially right now with the Pack Act, just getting rejected. So it's a nice permanent topic, but you know, you, Every veteran here, you know, gone the whole you know, thank you for your service spiel. Um, but on that note of service, like if you look at some, what some of these Afghans have done. Um, I'll go with one guy in particular. was so a Boston Rob, just Rob, you know, his alias on my social media stuff. The dude joined a I forgot what SF program it was back in the day because it's way beyond my time. Um, but 2002, he joined whatever SF program as a security guard. Progressed through the NRG, became an NRG director. So. This dude has I, I did the math, some like 18 and a half consecutive years under ser- with service to the, to the United States. He's never been to the United States in his life. Yet he's worked for 19 fucking years on our behalf. Like there's no veteran, just by default, there's no veteran within the entire US military or prior or you know, or now who's had that kind of service. You know, it's just it's just you need to change by virtue of being an American. You live in America, so you don't have that kind of um time on the ground in Afghanistan the fact that we're just going to leave someone who's dedicating 19 years of their life, literally their life, to advancing our national interests, it's just, it's it's beyond unconscionable, you know, it's just, it's absurd. It is. And Tom, to your point, something
0: you and I have talked a lot about is that all of our Afghan, because it's not about, uh, I think Travis said, like, you know, the cream of the crop, the, 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 the partners that we work with. You know, I think it's fair to say that the Afghan Special Operations Forces, the NMRG, the the the, the aviators, um, particularly the Special Mission Wing—I mean, they probably carried 98 percent of the load of the fighting. Oh yeah, the final years of the conflict. I mean, and and I, there's a lot of data to back that up. And and pretty much any operator will tell you that was true, whether it was the KKA, the Commandos. So they were carrying the bulk of the load. We built. In our own image, a, a Western Special Operations Force that was extremely technical, extremely optic heavy, uh, widget heavy, contractor heavy, you know, and and then we pulled the rug on it, and and you know, Tom, one of the things that you said to me that always just really hit me when people wonder, like, okay, well, the NMRG, like the National Mine Removal what is it about them that makes them so special? And you said something to me that really hit me right between the running lights was a lot of these guys literally traded their life for our operators in keeping them safe. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, cause the NRG, you have to delineate, they did not work for their commanders or anasf ASF or anyone else. They were for us like directly with us. Um, their barracks were, you know, 10 yards from ours. I mean, actually we live in the same barracks or some of the guys live in the same barracks depending on, you know, where they're assigned. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like them and us. It was like us as one, like us together. Um, and these were the guys who had their little chay of minesweepers leading the formation. It wasn't, you know, if it wasn't them with was that minesweeper who was, you know, you know, interrogating IDs by hand, it would have been an American doing this. You know, whether it's EOD and 18 Charlie such as myself, or even just some uh you know, just some private in the 82nd, it would have been an American doing this. And you know, the law of averages, at some point, someone is gonna be killed doing this job because it's inherently dangerous. You know, you hit some of these IED belts, 20, 30 IEDs, something like someone's gonna die. It's it's a guaranteed. But the thing is with NRG, is I wasn't an American dying, it was one of them, which is pretty fucked up when you put it that way, but it's even more fucked up when you say we're just gonna leave you guys in Afghanistan you're off on your own right now and there's nothing we can do because to be honest the fact that i have sf guys doing their, the, the state department's case working uh, case management job right now it's exactly that we have left them behind like sanctioned abandonment on behalf of the u.s government or you know um uh, sanctioned abandonment you know um God damn it, i can't speak right now but you know that's been levied upon them by the U.S. government. Yeah.
0: Oh, I, I I, agree, man. And I'm going to go to, to Duke next here, but I, I appreciate your candor, man. And, and, and I think it is worthy of noting. And you're not the only one saying this. Like, I see it all the time, and I know these guys do too. There are active duty men and women right now who are managing caseloads of abandoned partners and in moments when they could be preparing for the next conflict.
1: Yeah, that's like that's kind of like a thesis statement of some of my remarks to Secretary Blinken the other day. Like SF guys should be preparing for the next combat mission, not looking back at the last one, you know. But but let me tell you this, man.
0: Uh we interviewed, Pineapple interviewed uh, a Green Beret pulling out indigenous uh fighters. And his name's George, and he's a fifth group guy, and he fought in Vietnam and he's 82. <laughs> he's fucking still pulling mountain yards out. And guess what? He's never going to stop because that's how we trained him. That's what we built him to do. And then, you know, the definition of a moral injury is to do something that goes against your value set. And 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 Duke, that's what's happened. I know that's what you were starting to allude to, because there are two different elements to that. There's what Tom's talking about is just the egregious abandonment of an ally. But there's also the veteran component of this and the, and the volunteer component of this where damage has been done to these folks that stepped up. And I think they both are valid points. Duke, over to you on that.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely been moral injury that's happened across. I mean, the I mean, we have to reach out and Travis can attest to this, too. You know, we, mental health issues among, amongst our groups you know, not only for us, but for the folks that we still have in Afghanistan. I mean, that's become like a full-time job, you know, after, after the bombing that happened at Abbey gate, everything just kind of spiraled out of control. And there was all this confusion about now, where do we send people? Cause like H yeah. Kaya was like, okay, well just send everybody to the airport. And that's why we ended up with that big ball of humanity there. Right. And then after that happened, then it was, everybody was in the wind and that's when the, the real evac work started. Um, none of us thought that we would get into the housing business, the transportation business, the emergency medical care business, the health and welfare and feeding business, the political business, the fundraising business, the media business. I mean, there are so many moving parts to all of this. Yeah. And, and this is where you talk about that uncle Sam size problem. Yeah. Yeah. And there's very little dollars to go around. I mean, you know, we're fighting for every penny that we we can get because the government isn't, you know, supplying any money to us for any of this at all. Yeah. So if if the veteran groups weren't doing this, I mean, I I don't even want to think about what you know the human capital cost or the the human life cost would be on the back end. I mean, so we, of, yeah, tens of thousands of lives
0: for sure. And Travis, over to you. I mean, I I think absolutely. You know, the, so the moral compass like the name even <laughs> you right. know i think people don't realize that like what our veteran population to me represents for us as a nation in this fucked up moment is a moral compass right, right. the ability to look at what's right and do the right thing uh even when it's hard and and so right. talk to that a little bit and and like what it's been like over this past winter, trying to keep this thing moving? And, and where are we now?
3: And that's the thing, you know, uh, Duke said it.
0: You know, I planned on,
3: you know, after after hitting Kabul and being on the ground for a few weeks, I planned on coming back and just being over it and continuing on with my life. Um, I didn't foresee everything that Duke said, having to be in the media, having to deal with politics, having to deal with crap that I did not. This wasn't my retirement plan. But, you know.
2: I, yeah, it's going to say, didn't the we all retire? Didn't we a
3: all start this up? Right. So, you know, now look at, you know, what we've done, and it's the fire hose effect. You know, we learn as you go. Take as much in. Trust who you can. Trust and verify. Get rid of this person. Get rid of that person. Don't talk to this media. Don't talk to this one, but talk to this one, but this person only. You know, there's so many nuances that go with it that uh, for us, it's ridiculous it's 24 7 every day of the week yesterday was a day that i tried taking for myself and said i'm just gonna not do anything related to afghanistan or ukraine it doesn't happen so you go back to how is it that we're able to do what we do feed house raise money
2: um Emergency medical care. I mean, it's emergency medical care. Get basically, <laughs> yeah, doing 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 sustainment of
3: life, which should be the government doing this, yeah. not NGOs. But why is it that NGOs are being more um, proactive and more effective than the U.S. government? Why are we doing better job than DOS? Why are we doing DOS's job to begin with? Well, we can do it at half the cost um we know the people specifically so when it does come down to paperwork tom can write a you know a recommendation letter and trust this person and know that it's supposed to go in the right hands. so we have this information and we pass this information to dos um but they get thrown in with the thousands upon thousands of people that didn't do anything for the u.s government but are in a process to siv immigration to the states so why is that happening and it's a it's a question that we nobody will answer but here we are a year later um with moral compass we created moral compass because we saw ineffectiveness with organizations out there donors giving money to people that didn't know what they were doing we yeah. took moral compass and built it off the best of the best getting shit done. And when donors come to us or we go to donors, I wish we had donors come to us directly, but we have to go out and beg every dollar that we get. And the question always comes, how do I know the money going to go to a good cause? Well, we've been doing it. Duke's emptied his bank account. Tom's emptied his bank account. You've emptied your bank account, Scott. Everybody I can think of has given up so much for this and it doesn't have to be that way That doesn't at all
1: you're right so tom go ahead i uh, perfect time for me to losing my train of thought actually um but I'm actually oh, yes i'm back on it um no to kind of go back off with of Travis saying about people just not not understand the issues like my i originally got involved with this completely uh, one, of, one, of the, one of the pre-established uh, NGOs post um, post withdrawal, right? Um, I was trying to just lobby, I was trying to lobby, lobby internally uh, for the NMRG, trying to get them some money and stuff. The thing is, people just didn't know who they were. Like, these these are SIV-eligible people who've done, the you know, the most stringent, most dangerous jobs on behalf of the Americans. They just don't know. And, like, I asked them to pass out on the State he They just met with, I don't know, just a blank stare or just outright ignored, you know, period. So at that point, it's just, all right, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll fucking do it myself, you know? So, and then that, that's how, that's how I started my little, you know, yeah. nonprofit in, in November, just because they don't know and they don't care, you know? So you just, it, it's just, at this point, it just becomes pure, unadulterated, you know, just hate and discontent. I'm just going to power on through this just to, you know, settle scores on our own account because we can't get any help with, on the outside yeah. or at least from, you know, from the higher echelons in government. And it's so frustrating because it's like you said uh,
0: to me in some comments that I passed on to a congressional official or two was that, you know, there really ought to be somebody um, at the State Department working at a case management level who understands the varying levels of contribution, risk, and frankly, you know, uh, miles run that have, have been done by these various organizations versus, you know, the barber from Bagram. Right. And, and 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 there's not like there's it's, it's all just kind of thrown in together. And it is insane to think that all these people are going to be evacuated because they're not. But but certainly the higher risk, the higher um, profile individuals um, are being hunted right now. Is that is that right, Duke? I mean, is that is 100%, that 100 actually-
2: percent? Um, and there's really no path for these these folks. I, I mean, we're we're struggling with this every day because we. <laughs> we can't send them down to the passport office to get passports that they don't have. They're, they're going right. to get unalived, Right. I mean, you yeah. can't go down there and say, here I am. <laughs> you know, right. that's, that doesn't work. And then they got to get visas. And then, you know, then they got to run around and, you know, just for their like SIV stuff. If they got all that, where's your marriage certificate, where's your kid's birth certificates. I mean, the country collapsed. These guys have been on the run since September. I've, I can't tell you how many people I've gotten safe houses that have been locked in a house since September. Right. I mean, there's no path out for them unless there's some special, you know, humanitarian parole SIV program for these people that, you know, allows us to get their emergency paperwork or whatever and then shuffle them out of the country. I mean, Afghanistan as a whole has basically become a prison state. All the borders are closed. Right. Maybe you can get them out to uh, Iran or Pakistan through the ground. But I mean, those those days aren't even easy. No,
0: and that's, that's a black hole. to go there. So yeah. that's an uh, and, and you know the other thing too is, um, talking about Tommy. You, you conveyed your uh, losing train of thought over to me now, uh, but uh, you know the, the the other piece about this is that that really just that strikes me is that all of, so many of these individuals that um, have gone through this, people talk about, well, you know. They need to fight like they do in Ukraine. Like they just not—they're not resistant. You know, if I hear that one more friggin' time, but—but but like, you know, in any resistance, man, there, what underpins resistance is resilience, right? And 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 without resilience, it is—I don't care who you are—you can't resist. And the resilience of so many of these people has been eroded uh, from Jump Street. And like Tom was saying, some of these guys have fought for decades. Like they have fought, not, they never stopped fighting. They never got a reprieve. They never got a break. They carried 98% of the load. And then all of a sudden, boom, the rug was jerked out from under them and their families are on the run. They had to grab their belongings in the middle of the night, dislocate from their home. You know, so there's, there's absolutely zero resilience to enable any kind of prolonged resistance at an independent level right and i'm saying that as a career sf guy like i mean i you know when you look at one's ability to resist you there has to be some propensity to do that and and we've literally we pulled the rug on every aspect of their ability to do that i think there could have been a much stronger resistance had we thought about this as a community and really looked at the longer game Um, but last point over to you, Tom, and then I I want to go to Travis to start talking about kind of call to action here. And and look, we can, we can do another segment or two on this and maybe we should, because I think there's so many, there's the moral injury angle. There's the, the, there's the the NMRG alone, like looking at that. But one of the things, Tom, tell us why, what, what does the end look like for you? Like when you think about in game, what is it when it comes to the NMRG?
1: So the end game, I mean, end game for Afghanistan is a little different from the end game for the NRG because the NRG is actually an attainable objective for one. Um, there's only about 300 of those guys in Afghanistan. You include family members. And you're looking at about 3,000 people, or sorry, 2,000 people. So that game for me, I mean, is that these guys have actually, they've done more than enough in terms of just flat out sheer service and advancement of American interests. So the end game for me is to yeah get them out uh, or give them the option if they want. If they want to stay in Afghanistan, they can stay in Afghanistan, but give them all the option to to leave the country if they want to. So yeah, to even to would up even further, the end game for that would be seven million dollars. So whether it's from state or private, I don't care. Um, and yeah, just get them out, find a way. Okay, Duke, how about
2: you? Well, I think the only real solution we're looking at is going to be a political one. Uh, We need the Department of State to create a program similar to what they just did for Ukraine, right? They came up with the uniting for Ukraine thing. And I mean, you know, I was just down in Mexico firsthand and we moved 27,000 Ukrainians through Mexico into the U.S. with, you know, two hours per person. I mean, why can't we just take that program and write it over for, you know, our Anasov SMG and, you know, those types of folks? uh f- From Afghanistan,
1: who and, have that uh,
2: by the way? Just take the uniting for Ukraine program and just change Ukraine for Afghanistan and make it, you know, anisof. Again, that's a the the general term for us to move our people.
0: And Duke, what would you say to the politicians who oppose that because of ideological
2: immigration
0: stances? What would you say to them?
2: Well, this isn't a this isn't an immigration issue like the 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 normal things that we deal with with immigration this is a moral responsibility to allies <laughs> you know this is a this is a defense and national security issue not an immigrant not an immigration issue and they just happen to be vetted yeah for- and 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 they're vetted right some of these guys are you know they've gone through you know tssci polys, you know more yeah. so than our own soldiers right, right. i mean these right. guys have been right. scrutinized. yeah and yeah. and again you know we're not talking about an astronomical number of people like tom was saying You know, across moral compass, I think we've got like 35,000 people, you know, and this isn't just single males. We don't, I don't think we really even have single males. I mean, we're mostly just families, right? So this is a woman's issue, a child issue, you know, child safety issue, Um, you know, 35,000, we can absorb that. And it doesn't even have to be America. I mean, there's other countries that are willing to take chunks of these people, right? Right. So this is a, this is a very solvable issue. It's just not being solved.
0: Mm. Travis, what, um, talk to us about,
2: where do we go from here,
0: man? Moral compass. Like what, what do people, what, what, what do we need people to do? Like what, 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 what's next? It, you know, and I say this over and over
3: and over again, I'm sure Tom and Dude, you know, are tired of hearing me say it, but it's educate and advocate, right? It is, over what's going to happen over the next year is either going to play out into the worst possible scenario in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now, or we can fix this and provide support to Afghanistan so that we don't create a generation that hates America. We already created a generation there for 20 years of educated females, Doctors, lawyers, everything that you can possibly think of—the the, the great dream was coming true. I saw it firsthand. It took 20 years to get there, but we were finally there. And everybody that's in the FID business, the foreign internal defense business, knows that it's a long game. A long. You game. don't just decades. You, you don't just get miracles. But we were so close. And what we did was, like you said, pull the rug out. And now we are going to create a generation of fighters. That are not going to align with America yeah. or coalition or anything in the world. Because all that they'll see is that we abandoned and their mother got raped, their father got tortured, and they're going to never forget that. Yeah. So the the you know, the call to action in that realm is let's get them some support. We've got Hakani in there, we've got AQ in there, we've got all these terrorist organizations. We need to wipe them out. We've got them all sitting in there. You know, that's a target-rich environment, if you ask me. Yeah. So let's get some stuff going and uh, do what we're supposed to do. But that's just on, you know, the military side. If you go on the, you know, civilian side of it and the outlook, and what we should be doing is, again, educate and advocate on behalf of, of all those citizens that we did leave behind. You think of all the scholars that had... Um, university coming up that August. Yeah. That didn't get to leave. You know, that could have been the next Einstein. That could have been the next president that there's so many things that need to be righted. And the writing comes from US government fixing what they fucked up and owning it. And if they would own it, it would take the pressure off Tom, take pressure off you, Duke and myself. And I could actually go have a career that I want you know um yeah and not be doing this this isn't what i want to do but i'm doing it because i believe and i believe in what we did for the last
0: one i think a lot of people don't know that Travis. a lot of people don't know the the extent to which you guys do what you do and i know you're all humble dudes and but it's like anna said on uh on the moral compass when we were taking input she said we want our lives back right and i think that's Absolutely. A fair that's a fair statement um although yeah. every single person will continue to watch just like George does with his yards, until they right. really relieved. relieved. Um, Tom, what did we, what if we not covered that we need to cover uh, from the NMRG front or anything that you want to leave listeners with?
1: I think we hit it, but yeah, just to reiterate, like, yeah, it would be nice. It would be really nice to go back to doing what I wanted to do. Like, I left the army or I was leaving the army before all the shit kicked off to go to med school. Like, here I am a year later, I'm still – I mean, I took the MCAT two weeks ago, which is a full year later than, you know, planned. And even then, like I'm sure my score is going to drop to several points lower than it would have been otherwise. So, i fucking love to, to go back to what I originally intended on doing, not trying to be some, you know, you know, living room humanitarian that I am now, you know. I hear you, bro. You? You, were, you
0: were writing op-eds with me in between for, get taking the MCAT. Yeah, <laughs> You know, I mean, like, that's not normal.
1: No, it's not. But then again, I mean, it's, I mean I'm mean, i an SF guy, so whatever. Fuck it, it's in my DNA at this point. Yeah. Nah, I hear you, brother.
0: Duke, how about you, man? What did we not cover that we need to cover?
1: You know, the fight's not over.
2: Uh, while, you know, veterans have carried the heavy load here, there's a large swath of the entire veteran community that's been pretty quiet, too, and I'd like to see some of our brothers and sisters step up. Um, I'd like to see more pressure put on the politicians to create a better policy to deal with this. And, you know, maybe some hearings at some point to, you know, have some accountability for how these decisions were made and make sure that this doesn't happen again.
0: Yeah, man. It, 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 anybody listen to this. I do hope regardless of your political affiliations, uh, a, a call to your congressman, because we've had one public hearing since all this started one public hearing. And that's ridiculous like that. You know, there needs to be full on accountability for this because the moral injury to veterans and those that have incurred it in active duty as well. Like it's not going to be even remotely set right until there's some assurances that this is not going to happen again. I mean, uh, and and right now there's not because it's been it's just been we've just turned the page. Um, so really good points. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll leave you guys with this. Um, in. Uh, Towards the end, right before the, the, the explosion on the 26th, um, 25th, 26th, um, we were, just like many of you guys, we were scrambling to, to help as many guys get in as we could. And there were, Tom, several NMRG guys um, who were in our manifest that we were working with. And I think one of those teams that you ripped out with, it, uh, th- they were represented in our crew as well but what struck me and and I'll never forget it was there was this one SF guy that, um, probably spent about 12 years of his life in Afghanistan. We called him James with the hat, uh, really cool dude. And, um, just an amazing guy and had done a lot of work with the NMRG and, um, he, we were just, you know, it was kind of after everything happened. Right. And we were just, reflecting and, and the bomb had just gone off and we were trying to figure out what the hell we were going to do next. And, and he said, you know, in all this shit that we did, I only got um, two guys out, Bashir and this and this NMRG dude named Mustafa. That was it. And he was like, you could just tell he was so fucking deflated. And one of the guys piped up from another group and inquired on who this Mustafa NMR, NMRG guy was. And he told him, he goes, Hey man, that dude saved our whole fucking team from an insider attack. And, you know, everybody just kind of sat there and just, you know, it would like hit us all between the running lights and the, the, the level of sacrifice and service of our partners and what they did, particularly the ones that we're representing. I mean, it just cannot be overstated and, and this work's never going to end until, you know, we're properly relieved. And I just, I appreciate you guys. For what you do, I, I really do, um, Travis. How do people find Moral Compass and, and help?
3: Yeah, anybody can go um, to uh, www.moralcompassfederation.org or .com, and that's going to list out Tom's organization with Team Eleven, Dukes uh, with North Star, and all twenty um, to include Pineapple um, and all the great folks that we have in Moral Compass. And again, thank you, Scott um you are a tried and true um spokesman for everything that you know we represent and what we stand for for the last year and i encourage anybody just go to our page check out the donate button it can be 20 bucks can be 50 bucks like tom said a good seven million would be great um you know and we we pray for that every night for but sure. uh you know every cent counts yeah. and it it does go to to uh Housing people, feeding families, uh, like Duke referenced, medical emergencies, um, the visa paperwork and the, the, the passport paperwork that costs money. And it's yeah. You know, administrative costs with that. Um, there's so much that we do, you know, um, and, you know, it's in the millions. If the government would, you know, contract us and give us, you know, a 20 million contract a year
0: would yeah. be, you know, <laughs> a lot better suited. For and the government actually get paid. For the government, it's a rounding error. It is. You know. Um, it is. 7 million is a bullet. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, boys, I appreciate what you guys do, man. And uh thanks. For it I, I suspect we'll bring you back on here again and 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 dive deeper on some stuff. But thanks for what you do and uh, to everybody listening. Uh, again, thank you for all the support you've given to the Afghan partners and to our veterans and our volunteers who have stood at their shoulder. Like you guys have been amazing, and and and, the, and I can't tell you the number of just you know emails and 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 DMs that I get. Just just the moral support means a lot. But we also need your any support you can give, whether it's your time, your financial support, whatever you can do, uh, because we're all I got. And, um, and, and until properly relieved, um, we need all the help we can get. So thanks for what you do and we'll see you on the rooftop.